This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. When we think of those who need blood, it's usually a car crash victim or cancer patient that comes to mind. But imagine your newborn baby needing life-saving blood transfusions. Well, this week we're rallying every Sydney cider who can to give blood. It's an essential service and one of the very few reasons you can leave the house at the moment. Joining me to explain just how important blood donations are is Rachel Torfer. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning, Sammy. How are you? I'm doing well. Now, Rachel, tell us about your experience and your pregnancy with your fourth baby, Estelle. So in September of 2015, uh, we found out that we were expecting our fourth baby. Um, This is a very much wanted and prayed for baby, so we were very excited. But unfortunately, the joy didn't last long. At just seven weeks gestation, I had a large bleed whilst I was at home. I thought with so much blood being lost, I must be losing my baby. But when we got to our obstetrician's rooms, he was able to find a heartbeat. He diagnosed a subconic hematoma, which is a bleed in the uterus, and put me straight onto bed rest. Um, at 12 weeks gestation, I had another large bleed and was rushed to hospital. I had cramps and I thought that, Again, I was losing our baby. Mm. At this stage, a complete placenta previa was diagnosed. And thankfully, again, when they did a ultrasound, they found a heartbeat. Um, unfortunately, along with the placenta previa, the hematoma had also grown. So now she had two threats to her life and I was kept on um, strict bed rest at home. Um, at the time, our other children were aged one, three and five. Um, So it was a really tricky time for our family. Um, We made it to the 19-week scan and I started bleeding again that morning and they moved my appointment up and when they scanned across my belly, um, we couldn't actually see our baby because the placenta had actually engulfed the uterus and had now become an accreta, which is a pregnancy condition where the placenta embeds too deeply into the uterine wall and it carries with it um, the risk of catastrophic bleeding at delivery. So I was told to go back home, um, go and stay on bed rest and to expect an early delivery. And uh, at the time of delivery, I would need a hysterectomy to save my life and that I would likely need blood as well. Um, So back home, I went to bed rest. It was nearly Christmas by this time and we were praying for our miracle. Um, Unfortunately, a few weeks later, at 21 weeks gestation, I awoke in the middle of the night to a large bleed, bigger than any of the others. We were told at this point any blood I needed to go straight to hospital. So we called an ambulance and I was taken to Westmead and that was the worst 24 hours of my life, uh, laying in a bed in labour ward, hearing other babies being born, breathing and screaming. Um, We were told that our baby was too small to be saved, that if she did come, that they'd place her on my husband's chest until she took her final breath. Um, and then they'd work to save my life because it was now very clear that my life was also in great danger. Thankfully, um, we made it through that night and I was put onto a ward and on strict bed rest. And so for the next several weeks, we had the goal of getting to viability at 24 weeks and um, growing her as big as possible. Um, Every three days they did a group and hold 
which is where they were cross-matching my blood because the hospital has started to stockpile blood for me for the time of her birth because they knew that I would require transfusions. During my hospital stay, um, my children would come and visit me once a day with my husband, um, and that was what got me through. And then every night my husband would come back in and he'd help me get up to go to the shower He'd shower me, he'd redress me, he'd put the compression stockings back on and I'd be put back in bed. Um, I lost a lot of muscle mass and became quite weak and the bleeding never stopped. So I was bleeding every day. On a Sunday afternoon when I was just 26 weeks and three days gestation, I had a lot of lower back pain. My family had visited me that morning and I was in a lot of pain, but I thought it was just bed sores because of the continued bed rest and I didn't want to ruin that visit, so I didn't say anything then. But when my mother, who is an ex-midwife, came to visit me that afternoon, she saw the pain across my face and she knew instantly that something was wrong. But she called the nurse in and um, CTG monitors confirmed that I was in active labour. So I was wheeled to um, labour ward. Um, Unfortunately, my obstetrician was away that weekend and being a Sunday, there were skeleton staff at the hospital. So it was absolute worst case scenario. The doctors on that night tried to stop the contractions. I developed sepsis and um, our baby went into distress. Both our heart rates rose, my temperature soared and then I began abrupting, which is... Um, whether the placenta actually starts to pull away and um, it causes catastrophic internal bleeding. At that point in time, they called an ALS, which is life support on both our baby and myself. And I knew that I might not wake up and that if I did wake up, that I might wait to the worst news of my life, that our baby hadn't survived. The next day... I woke in ICU, I was intubated, I was strapped to a bed, I had arterial and central lines in place and I was very puffy and bruised. I tried to feel my belly and although it was swollen, it was empty. Um, I saw a blurry blue figure off to my right and as the figure I approached, I realised it was my obstetrician and he came and he said, Rachel, I've seen your, your baby, she's beautiful. I was actually in ICU for three days During that time, a midwife who's actually been there for all my pregnancies, she came and she gave me a photo of our daughter. Um, We named her Estelle. She herself was intubated and had lines, central and arterial lines as well. And then after the three days in ICU, I eventually moved to a ward. And over the course of a week, I had lines removed. Um, The gynaecologist came and saw me and said, you've got to get up and start walking. We've got to go have that coffee downstairs in the cafeteria. Um, After a week, I was strong enough to be able to go and see Estelle. At the time, I was really nervous and hesitant. I felt that I'd failed her, um, not being able to carry her to term, and I was really scared that I might hurt her somehow by going to see her because even though deep down I knew I did everything I could to sustain the pregnancy. She had still been born early and I knew that the end of my fight was the start of hers. Um, But after a week, I was wheeled in a wheelchair to NICU to go see her. NICU is like a whole other world. 
there in a humidic crib was Estelle. I'd scrubbed my hands and my arms up to my elbows like we were instructed. And um, she was too weak to be held, but she made this, um, she cried, and it was such a loud cry for such a tiny baby. So when she was born, she was a kilo, which is the size of a bag of sugar, um, and she was about the length of a ruler. And so she was tiny, and I could see her little legs stretching out, and they were the movements that I had felt when she was inside me. And hearing her cry, my mothering instinct kicked in, and I was scrambling to hold her. Um, they let me put my hand through a porthole, and she grabbed onto my finger, and I knew then that she was a fighter. Um, the next day, she was actually able to be placed on my chest, and that's what they call kangaroo care. And it was just incredible, this sense of euphoria, having this baby that we were never certain we would have um, Earthside placed on me and all the pain erased and all the fear disappeared. She had a very long NICU run. Um, well, pretty standard for a 26-weeker. It's 12 weeks. And she had lots of hurdles. She, Before I even met her, she'd had her first um, transfusion of red blood cells. Um, and she went on to have fresh frozen plasma as well during her stay. Um, and NICU journey is very up and down. Two steps forward, one step back. But eventually after 12 weeks, she did come home. And I did find out what happened the night she was born. I was cut from the top of my abdomen to the bottom, a vertical incision. And when they took Estelle out, she was actually blue. She wasn't breathing. So she was manually resuscitated and intubated and then rushed to NICU. Um, so my husband watched her being whisked away and he was told he needed to leave whilst they worked on her. Then he had to wait outside for several hours whilst they worked on me. So they had to, the placenta had actually grown through the uterus and attached to my bladder. So it had gone from being an accreta to a percreta. Um, and this meant that I lost my uterus, my tubes, my cervix, and part of my bladder. And in the process, five litres of blood, which is my whole body's volume of blood. Um, so even though they had been stockpiling blood, the amount of transfusions they needed to sustain my life, they needed to have someone on the phone to lifeblood the entire time I was in theatre ordering blood and blood products. And in total, I was given 14 units and then also adrenaline on top to keep my heart going. Um, so when I met the um, surgeons in the days after her birth, they all had one very clear message we were both very lucky to be alive. Mm. And I know that without those blood donors, I wouldn't be talking to you today. My children wouldn't have a mother. My husband wouldn't have his wife. And we also wouldn't have our miracle baby. Thank you for sharing that, Rachel. I know it's not easy. It mustn't be easy to go through that whole, uh, again, I can, <laughs> I can see that. But it's so important for others to hear that story because I'm sure – uh, as, I mean, it's a miracle that uh, you and Estelle got through that, and I know that Estelle is is happy and healthy now. You had her on a, on your lap the other day when we talked. Um, I'm curious to ask about the importance of blood donations before this whole situation. Did you? What was your thought about blood donors and 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 the need there? Was that something that was you were conscious of before then? Um, I think very much like 
a lot of people, I believe that blood donations went to trauma victims, so someone who'd been in a car crash and had bleeding from that. Um, I didn't have a great understanding of other um, recipients who would need blood, and I actually did start donating blood um, when I was a struggling uni student, and I um, almost selfishly did it for the free cookie <laughs> and milkshake, um, which they still have and they still taste great. But yeah, I didn't. I never imagined that my blood would go to um, a critically unwell mother or a premature baby. But I think only 2.4% of the population donate. And during the current lockdown and ever since um, coronavirus emerged, there's been less donors. Um, But it's actually somewhere where you can go during the lockdown. You're allowed to go and donate blood. And it's a way to get out of the house, especially if you're feeling a bit stir-crazy. You know, it's almost like eating out again. So I know that you went yesterday. Yeah. How was your experience? It was great. I'm kind of ashamed isn't the right word. I, I wish that I'd been doing it for years because, you know, it, it, it's a shame that it took this campaign to get me giving blood because my dad's been doing it for years. My father-in-law's done it for years. And so now I'm like, well, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this because I know how important it is. So I'm thankful for this campaign that we're running at Hope. But um, but at the same time, it's such an easy process and such an important one as well. How has your perspective changed on those who give blood, Rachel? Because you said before, you know, you had given blood before this whole situation, but since then, you've obviously kept giving blood. What are you, what are your thoughts on those who who give up their hour every every three months to give blood? Yeah, well, I started donating again when a cell was two. We call it our survivor anniversary, and since then. Uh, Nathan and I have tried to donate as often as possible. And I mentioned before, you know, I think about the surgeons who were called in on that Sunday night to come and save our life. And, you know, they're superheroes to me. Like I said, the gynecologist, I'm pretty sure he had a cape blowing in the wind. It could have just been all the drugs that were running through my system. But they were definitely superheroes. But then the real superheroes in all this are the men and women who donated blood in the weeks and months leading up to us becoming recipients because they had no idea that, you know, our lives would cross in such a way. I'm able to wake up today and see the sun shining because of those people who donated all those years ago. So I, I think as a donor, um, unless you've been exposed to the story of a recipient or been a recipient yourself, you don't understand the true value in what you're doing. The donors are the superheroes in this story. Um, and it's a really selfless act and a really simple act to do. Um, and I don't think that donors understand quite how grateful us as recipients are. There's actually no words to describe how thankful we are. They've given us a happily ever after. Rachel, you've been able to see through your own experience where the blood donations went because they went to you. But I believe that those who give blood now will get notified of where their blood goes. That's right. So within a few days to a week or so of donating blood or plasma, um, you get a text message and it tells you exactly which hospital your donation has gone to. And I always appreciate getting those texts because, yeah, you can see the real difference that you're making. And then it's so easy to book your appointments because they've got an app that you can download onto your phone, a Lifeblood app. And um, it even is great for you to keep track of your own health because they'll tell you what your stats were from the last time you went in of your blood pressure and your haemoglobin. And they're so lovely at the donor centres. They're always very welcoming and it's just a really lovely experience. 
Rachel, I'm so thankful for you. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy for you that that you got through you and Estelle did um, through that situation. But also, I'm so thankful that you have been willing to share that story with us on Hope Breakfast this morning. The great thing is that, um, yeah, Hopeland, we're inviting you all to give blood. So if you're hearing this and you've been moved and you're able to give, please join me and our Hope team and give blood. All the details are at our website now, hope1032.com.au. Uh, with donations low because of COVID and lockdown and everything else, wintertime, you're needed more than ever. And uh, you can hear the impact of that through through Rachel. And also the thanks in your voice. I've heard that this morning, Rachel. So thank you. Thank you so much, Sammy. And thanks for donating yesterday. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.